You are listening to the Gateway Church in Spring Lake, Michigan. To learn more, visit us at thegatewaygh.com. Just to get your mind around what's happening here, let's look at the map here. We'll kind of see the second missionary journey started in Antioch, kind of made their way up, and uh, up in Philippi, like I just mentioned, then to Thessalonica, to Berea, and now they come down the coast to this beautiful city. We're going to talk about that in a minute, the city of Athens, and Paul is there all alone. So, So that's kind of where we're headed. Now, last week, we talked about the disciples turning the world upside down, making an impact, living on purpose. And we asked the question, what would it take to turn our world upside down, where God would be using us in supernatural ways in a similar fashion? And we took the honest assessment and really understood that it's a sad truth that there are Christians, some Christians, that have little or no effect on their culture, on their world, on their family, on their work environment. They're not infecting their neighbors or their schools. And it's our priority. It's my, my goal, our challenge, is to move the needle, so to speak, to make a difference, to live on purpose, that our lives would be fruitful. I wrote in my notes, I want my life to count. How many are with me? You want your life to to count and saying yes i want and we said last week it takes four things to do that it takes boldness it takes courage right uh, it takes a message you need content there's uh, the converts we said that it takes people getting saved to change the world and uh, not only were they saved but they got water baptized just another shameless plug for baptism tonight and uh, but then there was always also opposition and what I want to do is we continue our journey here. We're going to look at the last part of Acts 17. We're going to look at the city of Athens. We're going to see these four things, and we'll get there in just a moment. But as I was praying, or as I was uh, preparing this week, I got a note from one of the missionaries that we have supported in the past. We don't support this missionary couple on a monthly basis, but a few years back they came and we really loved them. We weren't able to pick them up for support at that point. We should probably circle back, but that's another story. But, uh, but anyway, we, we blessed them with $1,000, and so I get their newsletters, and uh, I, I read their newsletter, and I'm like, this is just like Paul. Let me, let me read it. It says, a couple weeks ago, I, John, that's John Carino, uh, serving in Barcelona, Spain, Barcelona's in Spain, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, was, was sitting in co- the coffee shop celebrating with a new intern all about the, what God had done, uh, the, what God is doing in our midst. Just story after story of life change, transformation, personal growth, healing. And in the next instant, I heard some commotion. I turned to see an immigrant young man being beat to the ground for no apparent reason by a very large man. I went to stop the attacker, and immediately his buddy appeared out of nowhere and punched me full force in my chest. I was shocked, and it hurt, he said. (laughs) The attackers ran out of the building, 
and the stunned victim began to recover, while the even more stunned intern looked on in disbelief. Can you imagine saving up all the money to be an intern, to go into Spain, you're going to work with these great missionary heroes, and the very first time you're just getting the lay of the land, and all of a sudden there's a fight, and the missionary gets up and like intervenes and gets blown back himself. I'm thinking, that is crazy. Well, listen, he goes on, he says, I find this story humorous, and in parentheses, now, (laughs) that in every time we celebrate, tell the stories, lift high the name of Jesus, and forcefully advance the kingdom, it causes a ruckus. He says, we have an enemy who wants to knock the wind out of us, to cause us to stop to cause us to calm down, to shut our mouths, to keep our heads low and our expectations even lower. And then in big, bold, he says, we refuse. Isn't that awesome? He says, we will not stop advancing the kingdom in Barcelona, celebrating what God is doing and believing for even greater things. Thanks for believing with us. And I wrote out in the note, I said, this is just like Paul. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I want you to know that that story can be our story as well as we kind of get our minds around these things, that it takes boldness, it takes the message, it takes converts. Yes, there is going to be opposition, but in the face of that, God, he gets the glory. Now, let's turn in our Bibles to Acts 17. You're probably already there. And let's read this and understand, try to understand what God is saying to us this morning. Verse 16 starts off, it says, When Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks as well in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him, with him, Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They thought the resurrection was another god or another another idea. It says, uh, then they took him and brought him to the meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, he grabs their attention, and right there I put in my Bible, he's bold. So he's bold, all right? So we see his boldness. He stands up. He grabs their attention. says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. (laughs) For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. And now comes the message. So I put in my Bible the message. Uh, It says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. In other words, he's saying, look, the God that you're curious about, uh, the God, this unknown God, he's the creator of everything. Verse 25 says he is not served by hands 
uh, human hands as if he needs anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. He's saying, look, God is not only the creator, he is the provider. Verse 26, from one man he made all nations and they should, uh, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history uh, and the boundaries of their lands. In other words, he's the ruler. He's the creator. He's the provider. He's the ruler. And then he goes on and he's, he uh, gets to the point saying, hey, he's the savior as well. Let's look at it. It says, God did this so that we would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are of his offspring. Therefore, since we are his offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design or skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set the day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. That's the opposition. We see that. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers. There's the conversion. So people followed. Uh, they followed Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, uh, Dionysus, I butcher that again, sorry, uh, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you that it's life. Thank you that we can glean from it and learn. I pray that you just speak in and through me, uh, use me beyond my natural abilities. And God, I pray more than anything that we would be able to apply what you're saying this morning to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before we dive in and look at this, I want to remind us who Paul was. We're going to look at Paul, then we're going to look at Athens, we're going to look at them colliding, and then uh, what I really believe the Holy Spirit wants for us. But let's talk about Paul just for a second. Uh, If you haven't been tracking with us, but even if you have, it's good to remember, Paul was a Jewish man. He started off as a Pharisee, remember, He was a Roman citizen. Uh, He was Hellenized, which means he was full of Greek culture. He was very learned, understood Greek literature and architecture. Uh, You could call Paul a uh, a cosmopolitan. cosmopolitan. Uh, He was very articulate. Uh, He he knew a whole lot. He had a crazy amount of knowledge. Uh, And not only did he have knowledge, He was smart in the sense that he was creative. He knew how to share in different environments. And now he finds himself in a new city and um, he finds common ground. Uh, He knew that they were interested in God's little G, uh, but he inserted the God big G into the conversation. He proclaimed the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And he even used their own philosophy. 
um, their own words and injected that just to make that common ground. And uh, there's something there. And uh, I thought at one point this week as I was studying that maybe that's where we wanted to focus because there's, there's a lot that we could uh, kind of tackle there. We could learn from this that when we share, we should find common ground. We should insert God into the situation. We should always bring up Jesus. Um, but, uh, but we're not going to do that. But that's who Paul was. And that's, he, he, if you cut blo- uh, Paul open, he was going to bleed those things. He was, he was going to do that. And he was saying and doing these things uh, in really, uh, arguably, one of the greatest cities in the world now, in the city of Athens. And so we got Paul. Now let's look at Athens for a second. Athens was the center of the arts. It was a center for culture, for, of information. Uh, one commentator said that, uh, it, that in all of history, uh, if you took Athens at its prime, you could put it up against any city and there would never be an equal. Um, the architecture was stunning. Um, you can actually look it up and it's kind of in shambles at this point and kind of in ruins. Uh, but it would have been magnificent in the day and uh, just stunning. And not only was the art and the architecture stunning, uh, there were a lot of philosophers that you have probably learned about uh, in school. How many uh, remember learning about Socrates and Plato? All right, just way to go. There's way more people from second service that remembered them than first service. There's like one person who was like, Maybe, but um, anyway, they Socrates and Plato were from Athens, and uh, and and so some of that thinking. Uh, how many have heard of Arist- Aristotle? Right? Oh yeah. Guess where he was from? Not from Athens. Nope. <laughs> but he adopted Athens. Tricked you um, as his home, and uh, and so that was kind of fun. Athens really became the intellectual capital of the world. In uh, the scripture, we read about the Stoics and the Epicureans, and it's interesting to study those. We're not going to take the time to do that. But the overall idea, you can kind of see for the people in Athens, is kind of captured in verse 21, where it says, All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking and listening to the latest ideas. They were interested in knowledge. They were interested in wisdom. They were interested in human thinking. And uh, they were very, very uh, into that type of thing. And because of that, Athens was very pagan. Uh, In fact, uh, it was home for almost every god, little g, that was ever created. One of our commentators that I've been studying said, in Athens, it was easier to find a god, little g, than it was to find a man. The idea is they were everywhere. And just in case they missed one, they created an altar to the unknown god. And Paul stepped into that, and it was worldly, it was pagan. But you've got to understand, when you think worldly, pagan, you, know, you might think of uh, some really... Um, dark, evil places, you know, the, uh, of the world. But in, on the outside, it was very chic. It was very in. You would have walked into Athens and looked. it looked like they had it all. And it reminds me a little of the culture that we find ourselves in here in West Michigan. It really does. 
Acts 17, the greatest man that ever lived, perhaps, from Paul, now in the greatest city. They collide, they come together. And to me, what I've seen this week, and I believe that the Holy Spirit is directing us to kind of get our mind around, is the idea of how did Athens affect Paul? When Paul came there, he came by himself. How did Athens affect him? Athens was not in ruins like it was today. It would have been a beautiful city, stunning. And it's very possible, it would have been possible for Paul to have got caught up in the culture, to the architecture, uh, the, the food, the people, the art. Um, I, I could just imagine Paul, you know, he's running for his life in a lot of ways. They're getting him here, and uh, he, he's there by himself. He's saying, whew, I'm finally in a place I can relax for a little bit. Uh, but that's not what he does. Um, I know I've been in some cities, some beautiful cities. I've been privileged, uh, I said first service, to, to be in 22 countries. And, um, and I've been to Hong Kong and Beijing. That's just beautiful uh, places. Uh, great. I've been to the Great Wall of China. I've been in the Caribbean a few times and the Turks and Caicos missions trip a couple years ago. And I've been in some beautiful places. Uh, how many of you guys have been to a beautiful place where you can just be like, man, uh, the glory of God's there or just the structure or maybe just the mountains. Maybe you've been out to Colorado or Tennessee and you've seen some things. It's easy to get caught up in the beauty that that's the thing that kind of comes to our mind when we come to a place like that. Um, I, uh, you know, I've been to some places I, I could talk about the African safari or the Russian culture from earlier this year when Logan and I were in Russia and I can share those adventures. And, uh, but what, but what's interesting is that, uh, even though all of those things kind of come to our mind quickly, those things did not come to Paul's mind. Uh, in fact, what's interesting to me, how did Athens affect Paul? There's not one line in all of Scripture that I could find where Paul talked about how grand Athens was. Instead, he saw it from a, super, or from a spiritual perspective. And I wanted just to put that in perspective for us, kind of bring the application, bring it home. What about us here in West, West Michigan? We are, I, when I was growing up, you know, we always vacationed on the west side. I grew up in Detroit. Um, when I moved here, uh, people were quick to say, the west side is the best side. That's right. And, I'm, and I think pretty much that's probably true. <laughs> the beaches, the water, right? The dunes, the, the little cities up and down the coast, the culture here, the arts, the architecture of some of the, the things that are the, the lighthouses and just different things, the food, the affluence in this area. And I don't know about you, but I can get caught up in all of that. But Paul didn't. And it really challenged me this week. Paul did not get caught up in the superficial. Instead, he saw Athens again with spiritual eyes. And we see it in verse 16. And I couldn't get my mind off this, and this is where I really believe God wants us to focus for the next few moments. Let's look at verse 16 again. It says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, pause there, he doesn't just vacation, he doesn't just sit by the lake or sit by the, the sea there, he doesn't uh, you know, just enjoy, take it all in and take a break. 
It says he was greatly distressed. He was moved emotionally to see that the city was full of idols. What Paul would have seen were idols, monuments, statues, altars, wooden, stone, and other materials. And he would have seen them everywhere. And you might say, well, that's hard to relate. I, we don't, when you walk up and down our streets or down, up and down our beaches, we don't see a bunch of idols, statues, things like that. We don't see uh, you know, God's little G in the same way in our culture. But let me ask you, do Americans struggle with idols? Do West Michigan folks struggle with idols? In Grand Haven and in Ferrysburg and Muskegon, North Muskegon, Norton Shores, Fruitport, in every city, people struggle with idols and even Christian people can struggle. I started to list a few that came to my mind. I was trying to think about you know, the people I preached to. I was thinking about you guys and, and just making a, a little list and, and I kind of got stuck and and so I did a little Google search, and man, I put in American Idol, and American Idol came up, and I, mean, I was like, that's a, so I had to be more specific. You know, what idols in America do people, and, and there was, and it really convicted me, because I was really not thinking about myself all that much, to be honest, but then I stumbled upon a couple uh, lists, and I just want to share a couple of these things. Here are seven modern-day things that we find it hard to admit that are actually taking over our lives and anything an idol is anything that become that comes more important than god in our lives right the first one is work many people look to work for a sense of significance or security ouch how about success god wants us to be successful yes but he does not desire success to take his place in our hearts isn't that the truth in the same list it lists phones and i was like Ooh, yeah, a phone being an idol. You think? I mean, if Paul was here, you know, he'd be talking about our phones probably. Um, image, and this was where it really got personal. Image, we get obsessed with projecting the image of a perfect life, perfect relationship, perfect kids, perfect holidays, perfect um, friendship groups, right? And all that scene online. Uh, how about materialism? And I'm like, this is not getting any better for me. <laughs> I, I'm thinking, yep, okay, I, I've struggled with these things. And he goes on, he says, sex and money, those can be idols as well. Another list says, here are a few of those things that we deal with in today's world that compete for our attention and could become idols in our busy, always-on society. The very first one was people. And it goes on, it says, Many people in our lives can take a front seat, consuming our thoughts, our actions, our energy. This could be a spouse. I'm thinking our spouse could be an idol if, it, if they become more important than God. Or a potential spouse, a boss, or a child. It goes on to talk about entertainers or public figures. And even within the church, a pastor or a church leader could become an idol. And I'm saying, God, I hope that's not, and that never happens. In the same list, he says your church or your ministry could become an idol. He talks about lifestyle, this guy, or a, a, the idol of self. And we kind of talked about that. How about in our culture, the idea that we've got rights and we are free, right? That can become an idol. 
He goes on and talks about things all the way down to social media. And I know that, you know, that again, that, that everything looking good and, and uh, everything on social media can become an idol, can become a pitfall for us. These are modern idols, so to speak. And I'm thinking, man, these things are all over our cities, all over our culture here in West Michigan. And then I was thinking, what if Paul were to slide in to West Michigan for the summer 2018? And he showed up at the Coast Guard Festival in a couple weeks. Or at the Lakeshore uh, in the summer at one of the beaches. Or at 4th of July. Or uh, even worship at the waterfront. What would Paul see? What would he see in the culture where we live? How would Paul react? How would Paul respond in this area? Would he respond with complacency? Would he be indifferent? Would he see the idols and say, well, that's not a real big issue or it's at least not an issue for me? Would it bother Paul to see the way that God is diminished in our cities, in our schools, in our workplace, in our homes? Would it bother Paul when God is dishonored? Would he be complacent? And you think, Paul? I don't think so, right? And I I would say that that's probably true. There's no way that Paul would be complacent. But what about us? We live here. Do we see idols as an issue? When God is diminished, when God is dishonored. Remember, we talked about moving the needle from being of no effect or little effect to being more effective, to to living on purpose. Listen, if we're going to do that, we cannot be complacent. We can't just sit back and do nothing in the culture that we're in. The other thing I was thinking, would Paul separate himself? If he pulled into town uh, to West Michigan for a time, would he separate himself? He'd say, whew, they're too far gone. Or he'd look at our city and say, ugh, they've got problems. I'm not going to mess with this. Would Paul do that? Would Paul say, uh, it's better not to touch this city and keep on moving on, maybe go to Chicago? I don't know. You think Paul, Paul would he do that? I don't think so. But what about us? Many Christians, in the face of the world, in the face of the culture, in the face of sin, in the face of the arts, many Christians prefer to separate themselves. They separate their families. And I know there's a fine line here between holiness and righteousness, which is absolutely God's call on our lives. But we are called to be in this world, to be where we live. But there are some that would say, "Ah, I'm not going to participate, I'm not going to support, I'm just going to avoid it all. Or even worse, they look at what's happening and they see the idols and they see the, the darkness, so to speak, and they hate society. They don't want anything to do with anything that's ungodly. And many Christians will remove themselves from the very place God may be calling them to go and to be a part. 
Paul wouldn't have separated himself, and I don't think we should separate ourselves either. How did Paul respond in Athens? He certainly wasn't complacent. He didn't separate himself. I believe Paul responded with great love. Love is the why behind what Paul did. That's why he spoke up. That's why his heart broke for the Athens people. It was love. His concern for that city. It was his care. He wasn't consumed with the beauty of the city. You can't find one place where he talks about how grand it was. It was love. Love was the why. And when, and when answered, when that why is answered, it's what turns the world upside down. It's love. And I know we mentioned that last week. It's just like Jesus when he came into the city of Jerusalem in Luke 19. He was overlooking Jerusalem, and it says that he wept over Jerusalem. Now, we don't see Paul weeping over Athens here necessarily, but I believe every city that Paul went to, he saw that city like Jesus would see that city, and it would have probably moved him to tears. And my question is, what do we do with our Athens, with our city? One commentator, at the very end of his thoughts, he said, take the gospel to your own Athens. And our Athens is right here in West Michigan. What is our response to our city? How are we going move to the, the, move the needle? How are we going to live on purpose? We do that not by separating ourselves, not living with complacency and just saying, well, this is just the way it is, not being shallow. It should bother us when God is diminished, when God is dishonored. And the answer, the why behind all that is love. And it's love that helps us see with spiritual eyes. Pastor Bobby, I want you to come and kind of set the stage as we re- consider a response this morning. The answer is love. The answer is love that opens up our eyes, takes us beyond the superficial. And when idols bother you, we should, because we love so much, we should speak up. That's how we change the world. Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful for Paul's example. And Lord, it's, it's a really convicting thought for me that we live in a city, in an area of the state that is absolutely fantastic, and we're grateful for it. But Lord, could we see beyond the beauty of their cities, of the lighthouses, of the water, of the affluence that is all around us? And could we see into the spiritual realm, see the darkness, see the idols? And Lord, could you move us to the place where we're not complacent and just okay And Lord, help us never to separate ourselves from the culture. Paul would not have done that. He became like the Athens. He spoke their language. He was creative to reach one more. God, I pray that you would challenge each of us by your presence of your Holy Spirit to live this way. In Jesus' name. I want to kind of deal with two things. Keep your head bowed and eyes closed here for a moment. The first thing is in regards to idols. 
I know the idols, uh, dealing with idols in our lives is uh, very real. Maybe that list that I read, maybe something popped out, something in your life that was more important than God. That is something that we have got to really address and keep on the forefront of our minds. We cannot allow things in our lives to overtake us with our thoughts, with our actions, with our energies. Idols is a big deal. And if you're here this morning and you're struggling in that area, uh, there's an area in your life, I want you just to really surrender that to the Lord and ask the Lord to help you in that. So the idols is one thing. But really where my heart went this week is to have spiritual eyes. Eyes to see. And what motivates that is love, the love of the Father. To look at people not on the superficial, on the outside. To look at a city or an area not on the outside, but really see people for what they are and what they might be struggling with or what they might be going through. And for me, church, I'm challenged that I need my eyes to be in focus better. I need the Holy Spirit to touch my eyes so that I can see. Because I'm not always, it's easy for me, I should say, just to talk about our city or to talk about the beautiful area that we live in and to avoid the darkness. And I don't know if that resonates with you, but if it does, what I'd like to do is I'd like us to make a stand together saying if, if you're interested in praying a prayer, saying something like, God, I want to have eyes more like the Apostle Paul. If that's your heart, if that's your desire, uh, I want you just to stand right where you are saying, I want to have eyes to see more like the Apostle Paul. I want to move the needle in my life. I want to see people for who they are not to just let the superficial take over that's so easy. And with that, I want to pray. Lord, I'm asking that you would do the thing that we're asking us to do, that you would give us your eyes to see. Lord, that we would be able to see beyond the outside what's in the natural and see the spiritual. And God, I pray that that would be the first step to help us to be bold, to bring a message, to see people converted. Yes, there will be opposition, but Lord, I pray that your love would overflow inside of our lives and our hearts and that it would overflow to the point that we see in a different way. And Lord, as we leave here today, I pray that it would be very apparent that you're changing our vision You're switching things up. You're helping us to see in a different light. And God, I'm grateful for that. And Lord, I pray that you would just go before us, behind us, and all around us this morning, or this afternoon, and this week. And Lord, wherever we go, as we're out to lunch today, or as we're at the beach tonight, or at work this week, Lord, help us to see people in situations like you would see. And I pray it in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray now that you'd go before us and behind us and all around us. Give us a great week ahead in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,
Amen and amen. God bless you. Turn and greet someone before you leave, and uh, we'll hope to see you all tonight, 4 o'clock at North Beach. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegatewaygh.com.